0: Well, we are continuing our study on Ephesians, the riches of grace, and we're on teaching number 27. We've been on teaching number 27 for a while. It's, uh, we're on the fifth part, so we've done parts one through four, and now we're doing uh, part five, and we've been studying the armor of God. Specifically, we've been studying over the past few weeks the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace is found in Ephesians 6, 13 through 15, which reads, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So that's what we're going to be studying tonight is our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But I want to finish up our study on the gospel of peace by looking into Romans chapter 10. And Paul, who wrote the letter of Ephesians, also wrote Romans. And he writes in Romans 10, verse 15, about the gospel of peace. And here's what Paul writes. And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So I want us to look at this verse in context so that we can understand what is the gospel of peace that we're to preach so that people can take their stand in the gospel of peace. If one of the ways believers are to take their stand against Satan is by standing in the gospel of peace, but they've never heard about the gospel of peace, then how can that believer take their stand against Satan? If they can't take their stand against Satan since they do not know about the gospel of peace, then they're vulnerable to Satan's destructive attacks. You know, something I think about is, is the majority of believers that I've met over the years really don't have a good understanding of the gospel of peace. And if one of the ways we're to take our stand against Satan is by standing in the gospel of peace, if a believer doesn't have a good foundation and a good understanding of the gospel of peace, then how can they take their stand against Satan and his destructive attacks? So it's vital that believers hear about and understand the gospel of peace if they're to take their stand against Satan and his evil forces. So with this in mind... Let's look deeper into the gospel of peace in Romans 10, so that we can have a deeper understanding of the gospel of peace, and so that we can defend ourselves against Satan when he and his evil forces attack us with their lies. So in Romans 10, we're seeking to understand Romans 10, 15, which reads, we read it a a minute ago, I'll read it again, and how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So one of the things we see in this verse is, is preachers. You know, that that's a common word in Christianity, you know, preacher. My my neighbor uh, used to always call me preacher man. Whenever he'd see me, he'd be out in the yard. I'd be out in the yard. Hey, how's it going preacher man? And, um, Always was fond of, of seeing him and, and developed a good relationship with him, but he loved to call me preacher man. What is it that preachers are to preach? If believers are to take their stand in the gospel of peace, and the majority of believers don't know what the gospel of peace is, then what are people preaching? What's the preacher preaching? What, what, what's the content? What should be the dominant message? of a preacher to a believer and even an unbeliever because Romans 10 15 is talking about a preacher who's communicating to unbelievers the gospel of peace. So how can somebody even come to place their faith in Jesus and experience the peace that comes between a person and God if they've never even heard the gospel? So the idea here is for preachers to communicate the gospel so that people can hear the good news of the gospel so that they can place their faith in Christ and experience peace with God. But there's a lot of people who've come to faith in Christ, but they still don't understand the gospel of peace. They don't understand the gospel of grace. And we'll see momentarily that the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace are synonymous of each other. They're the same thing. The Gospel of Peace is the Gospel of Grace. The Gospel of Grace is the Gospel of Peace. It's, it's the same good news. So it's vital. It's vital that believers understand the Gospel of peace. Since context is essential to understanding verses, in order to understand Romans 10:15, we've got to start in Romans 10:1. And then from there, we're going to go back into Romans, because really, Romans 10, 1 begins back in Romans chapter 1. You know, it's, it's making its way. It's Paul's building a case. He's, he's making a point, and he comes to it in Romans 10, 1 as he educates people about the gospel. All right, so Romans 10, 1 says this. Brothers and sisters... My, that's the Apostle Paul who, who wrote the book of Ephesians, or who wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He's writing the letter to the Roman church. So he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my passion, and my prayer to God for Israel, that's the people of Israel, is that they may be saved. So we see in this verse that Paul's passion and prayer for the Israelites regarding salvation... Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my heart's passion, my heart's prayer to God is for Israel to be saved. Now, Paul was a Jewish person. He was a person who lived under the law of Moses. He had a strong desire, a strong passion to see his people coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so out of his passion to see them saved, he prayed for their salvation. Now, the question we want to ask is, what do they need to be saved from? So Paul's praying for their salvation. So what is it they need to be saved from? Which then takes us back into Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Basically, in Romans 1, Paul builds a case that all the Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, all Gentiles are sinners, all Gentiles are ungodly. All Gentiles are unrighteous. And in Romans 2, he builds the case that all Jewish people are unrighteous. There is none righteous, and he arrives at that conclusion in 3. So in Romans 2, 1 through 6, Paul writes this. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, meaning... Well, he, he explains what it means, because you who pass judgment do the same things. But that makes sense. That Think about the things that we judge other people for. Well, we've done those same things, too, in our lives. We've, we've had the same attitudes. We've said some of the same things. We've acted in some of the same ways, maybe not identical, and sometimes maybe identical. But Paul is saying that we're good at spotting the failures and the flaws and the sins and the immorality in others, but in reality, we're no different. So he's building a case that everybody is a sinner. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based upon truth. Now, why does he write verse 2? Because when we judge somebody else for their sins, for their failures, and for their flaws, we're actually putting ourselves above that person. Well, if that were me, I wouldn't have done what they did, or I wouldn't have said what they said, or I wouldn't have acted like they acted. We're judging them, but we're really no different. God's judgment of a person is based upon truth. So when God judges the world as sinners, the entire world as sinners, that's based upon truth. All right, he can do that because he's not a sinner. So now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, that's you and me, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? A classic example of this would be the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they would escape the judgment of God because they thought they were not sinful, they were not ungodly, they were not unrighteous, but they would look down upon the Gentile sinners and other sinners within the Jewish community in their minds. And in their minds, they thought, we're going to escape the judgment of God because we're moral, because of our morality and our religious activity under the the law of Moses." So we're going to escape God's judgment because we're not sinners like those sinners over there. And so Paul's making a case. He said, you're judging these people for what they're doing, but you're no different than what they do. And you're convinced that they're going to be subject to the wrath and the judgment of God, but somehow you're going to escape the wrath and the judgment of God. But the wrath and judgment of God that's coming on them, which you think they deserve, you do the same thing they they do. So how do you think you'll escape the judgment? So he's a lawyer in a courtroom here, building a case that the entire human race needs grace, and there is nobody who doesn't need grace. So he goes on in verse four, he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, the riches of his grace? His forbearance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness, God's goodness, God's patience, God's grace is intended to lead you to repentance. Repentance here is coming to a place where I see that I'm sinful and I see my need for grace. It's coming to a place where I'm like, you know what? I'm no better than anybody else. Who am I to judge that person for their sins when I've got my own sins? Who am I to condemn that person for? his sins or her sins when I've got my own sins. That God's kindness is there and his grace is there to lead me to a place where I see my own sins and realize my own need for his grace. And then he moves into verse 5 of chapter 2, and Paul says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, that's not seeing my own need for grace, not seeing my own sin, not seeing my own failures, not seeing my own flaws, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. That's the salvation that everybody needs to be, um, that, the day of God's wrath is what everybody needs to be saved from. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire And prayer is for the Israelites to be saved. And when we ask the question, saved from what? It's saved from the day of God's wrath, the day of God's judgment. And Paul goes on to write this day of wrath, this day of judgment, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then verse 6, Paul writes, God will repay each person on this day of judgment on this day of wrath, according to what they have done, and he's quoting Psalm 62, 12, and Proverbs 24, 12, when he says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. That's the judgment of God. So the self-righteous Pharisee during the days of Jesus would say, God's going to get them But I'm going to escape judgment and I'm going to live eternally in God's kingdom. I'm going to have eternal life. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is to the self-righteous person, he's trying to say, I know you think you're going to escape the wrath of God and the judgment of God because of your self-perceived righteousness, but you're not going to escape because the same sin you're judging other people for is the same sin that you have. So if they won't escape the judgment of God, then certainly you won't escape the judgment of God. And again, he's a lawyer in a courtroom building a case that everybody in the world needs Jesus. Everybody needs grace. Everybody needs the blood of Christ. So he goes into Romans 2.16. He says, this will take place. This judgment will take place when God judges people's secrets, the hidden things within us. The things that we've done that nobody else knows about, the things that we've thought that nobody else knows about, but that God completely, 100% knows about. So this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel or as my message declares. So the gospel message not only is the good news of God's grace, but it's the bad news of God's judgment. Because the bad news of God's judgment is what leads me to see the good news of God's grace. It's the good news of his grace against the backdrop of the bad news of the judgment. I remember when I was teaching high school, three girls came to me and they they said, Hey, Mr. Robertson, do you mind if we go out in the hallway and study for the exam tomorrow? And I talked to the three girls. I said, are you sure you're going to study? If I let you guys go out in the hallway, you're going to study. You're you're not going to waste your time. You're not going to talk about things. You're going to study. Yes, yes, sir, Mr. Robertson. That's what we're going to do. We're going to study. Well, they go out the hallway. They walk down the hallway, and they sit down to start studying. But what they didn't know was there's a vent beside my desk the wall and the hallway. So here's, here's the hallway, a wall, and my desk. And there's a vent. So I could hear everything they were saying. And it was kind of funny. I'm listening to them and all the different things they're saying. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till they come in. I like the girls. They were fun to be around. So they came in and I said, How, how'd your studying go? Oh, it, it went. And let me tell you, they didn't study. They didn't even crack a book. They didn't crack a note. So they come in and they, they say, uh, I said, how'd your studying go? Are you guys ready for the test? Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Mr. Robertson, we, we studied. And so how'd y'all study? Did y'all ask each other questions. And oh, yeah, that's what we did. And we know it now. I said, well, I said, you see that vent right there? And they say, yes, sir, Mr. Robertson. I said, do you know, I heard every single thing you guys, I'm, I'm so glad they didn't say anything that was crazy and that I didn't really need to hear. I said, do y'all know that? I heard every single word y'all said and everything y'all talked about. Of course, they got embarrassed. And, oh, no. And I said, you know, not once did you guys ask each other a question. And so what happened was I was the teacher. I was the judge, so to speak. And they were trying to hide from me. that Well, they were lying, right? They were trying to hide from me their sins, so to speak. And I didn't hate them. I, I cared deeply for them, but I was still their teacher. Well, God doesn't hate us. He's not against us, but he is the judge. And we have to stand before God through Jesus one day. And everything hidden will be exposed. Every thought, every deed, every desire, everything that, that I've done, that even things other people don't know about and thoughts and that no one else God knows about. And so we're subject to judgment. We're subject to wrath, meaning in the context of all of Scripture, the judgment and the wrath means that God's going to judge people to see whether or not they're going to enter into eternal life. And the only way that they can enter into eternal life at judgment is to be righteous because only the righteous will enter into eternal life or enter into the kingdom of God, which finds its roots, that theology finds its root in Jewish scriptures, and it's continued in Matthew and it's continued in Mark and continued in Luke, that the only one and John in John and all of scripture, that the only ones who will live forever in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God and eternal life are, are the same, So whenever you see, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will have everlasting life, well, in the context of that, everlasting life and living in the kingdom are synonymous. They're they're exactly the same thing. So the Jewish mind, one day they may say eternal life, another day they may say the kingdom of God, but it's the same thing. And the only way someone can live in the kingdom of God is to be completely righteous, no unrighteous person can live in God's righteous kingdom because once an unrighteous person lives in God's righteous kingdom, then the kingdom's no longer righteous. Only the righteous can live in the kingdom and the king is a righteous king. Talks about that in Jeremiah, that the Messiah's coming, the righteous king, who's going to have a righteous kingdom and everyone who lives in that kingdom will be righteous. And so in Romans Paul's gospel, his message is that all people are sinners and therefore subject to the day of wrath and judgment when God cleanses the earth from all sin and from all sinners in preparation for the new earth and preparation for eternal life and preparation for the kingdom of God in its completeness and in its fullness. So the, the wrath and the judgment of God isn't God's hatred for people, It's God is moving toward establishing a world and an earth that's free of all pain and hurt and heartache and sorrow and death and disease. Everything that brings us pain, God's going to remove. And the source of all the pain is in sin. And the source of sin is an inability to love. It's this inability of the human race to love that creates all these problems. All right, so God's going to remove all sin and all sinners in preparation for eternal life. It's like if someone's living in a neighborhood that is drug infested and there's there's drug dealers on every corner and the mother has little children and she's like, I don't want my children to go outside and being around all the drug dealers and all that's going on in the community. Her goal and her desire would be if someone could come in justice and in justice, remove all the drug dealers and all the drug pushers and all the drugs and all the crime so that my kids can go outside and play in safety. Well, that's what God's going to do with the earth one day. He's going to cleanse it of all sin and cleanse it of all sinners so that we can live in safety, so that we can enjoy the earth. The only problem is I fall under judgment. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the sin problem. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the sinners apart from Christ. So the bad news is in Romans is that all have sinned, and all are sinners, and all are under the judgment of God. So the reason Paul presents the bad news of wrath and judgment is so that he can deliver the good news of the gospel of grace, which is the gospel of peace that we're to take our stand in when Satan and his evil forces attack. Now, Paul begins his teaching on the gospel of grace, which is the gospel of peace as well in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And so Paul writes this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that's the good news of grace, that's everything God has done for us in Christ, to deliver us from judgment, to deliver us from wrath. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for in the gospel, it's the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, the gospel is the power of God to salvation from what? From wrath and judgment upon sin and sinners. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So how does a person escape the judgment to come? Through belief in Jesus. Because Jesus took the wrath. Jesus took the judgment. And through belief in Jesus, I'm no longer under the judgment of God where he's going to judge the hidden things, and he's going to judge my deeds. You and I are no longer under that once we come to faith in Christ. That's the gospel. That brings peace, spiritual peace, emotional peace. Wow, I'm not under this judgment. I'm not under this wrath. I'm not going to be judged for the hidden things. Thank God, literally, thank God for your grace. That's what the man in Romans 7, 26 says. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Who will save me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment. There is no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. So, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation from wrath and judgment upon sinners, who I am one apart from Christ, for everyone who believes... For the Jew first, and also for the Greek, or also for the Gentile. For in the gospel, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, or the innocent, or the righteous, shall live by faith. So with those two verses stated, he's then moving through all of Romans, to explain people's need for the gospel and to explain exactly what the gospel is and how to access the gospel, which is by faith. That's the most of the rest of Romans as he's backing up this idea that he's just presented. So based upon Jewish scripture, righteousness was required to enter the righteous kingdom of God or to live eternally. No unrighteous person could enter the kingdom If you want to go to Psalm chapter one, just if you want to read sometimes about the judgment of God that's coming upon the sinners and the wicked, and only the righteous will will remain, it's right there in Psalm chapter one. The only problem is Paul's presenting a case that the sinners of Psalm one is everybody. There are no righteous ones, everybody will perish in judgment apart from Christ. And only by belief in Christ will we not perish in judgment, which is where John 3.16 comes from. So no righteous person can enter the kingdom. The wicked, the ungodly, the unrighteous will perish in judgment. That's all based in Jewish scripture. And only the righteous would remain and experience eternal life. That's all based in Jewish scripture. That's why the Pharisees were pursuing righteousness, because they wanted to enter into the kingdom of God and they wanted to live eternally. And they understood that righteousness was achieved by obeying the law. And if they obeyed the law, then they could be righteous and enter into the kingdom of God. And all that is in Jewish scripture. As you read Psalms and Proverbs, some of that will begin to stick out. The, the wicked will go into judgment. The sinner will go into judgment. But the righteous will escape judgment. It's Psalms. It's Proverbs. So the Jewish mind is thinking, okay, I, I want to escape judgment. I need to obey the law to escape judgment. Now, the problem is that there are none righteous. There's none who obeyed the law. There are none who are righteous. All are destined to perish in wrath and in judgment. So in Romans 3, 9 through 10, Paul writes this, for we have already made the charge that Jews, that's Romans 2, and Gentiles, that's Romans 1, alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, now he's quoting Psalms, the book of Psalms, as it is written in the Psalms, there is no one righteous, not even one. So Paul's building a case that everybody deserves to be judged for their sins, that there is none righteous, meaning everybody is ungodly, everybody is unrighteous, everybody is of the wicked category of Psalm chapter one, and there is no one who is righteous, which means no one can live eternally in the kingdom of God because it takes righteousness to live in the kingdom. Now, the law consisting of the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, and the Ten Commandments. So, the law consisting of the two great commandments and the Ten Commandments was the standard of righteousness, you can go back into Deuteronomy. It talks about the law is the, is the measurement of righteousness. The law is the standard of righteousness. All right. And the Pharisees understood that. that that's why they would ask Jesus, uh, what's the greatest of all the commandments? What commandments do I need to, to really focus on to enter into the kingdom and to have eternal life? So they were seeking to enter into the kingdom of God by obedience to the law. And then Jesus would hold the law up to them and say, well, how well are you doing obeying the law? Not very well. Therefore, you can't enter into the kingdom. You can't have eternal life. So the two great commandments and the Ten Commandments would be how a person's righteousness would be measured. And it's a pass-fell measurement. So when, when God judges... To see whether someone will have eternal life, will live forever in the kingdom of God. He's going to be judging them for righteousness. Do they have the righteousness needed to enter into the kingdom and to escape judgment, to perish in judgment? Everybody fails. It's a pass-fail. It's, it's not a scale of zero to 10 or zero to 100 where you're 80% righteous. It's, it's pass-fail. A person's either righteous or they're not righteous. And unrighteousness is, it only takes one sin to be unrighteous. One sinful thought, one sinful deed, one sinful desire makes us all unrighteous. Coveting produces unrighteousness. It's when I covet, when I envy, when we get jealous, it's, that's a sin producing unrighteousness. Now, Paul writes in Romans 2.13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. That was the mindset of the Pharisee. That's why it's so important that we study scripture in context, because if somebody reads Romans 2.13, it takes that verse out of context. It's like, okay, if you obey the law, God will declare you righteous. Yeah, true, but the problem is nobody can obey the law. So we always wanna keep reading. So Paul's saying, yeah, yeah, you're right. If you obey the law, you will be declared righteous. And he's about to say, but nobody obeys the law. Therefore, everybody's declared unrighteous. So the Jews had the law written on stone. That's Romans 2.17. You can go back to Exodus 19 when they originally got the 10 commandments on stone. The Gentiles had the law written on their hearts. That's Romans 2.15. And then according to Romans 3:19 through 20, the law consisting of the two great commandments and the 10 commandments declares that no one can become righteous through obedience to the law. And therefore the law sentences everyone to death under the wrath and under the judgment of God. Romans 3:19 through 20 reads this way. Now we know that whatever the law says, Do not covet, do not murder, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not have any other gods before me, honor your father and mother. So we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, whether Jew or Gentile, even though the Gentiles didn't have the law written on stone, the Gentile nations understood lions wrong, stealing. We just know that. It's written, it's written on our hearts that lions wrong, stealing wrong, is wrong, adultery is wrong, coveting is wrong. We just know it. We're born with that because we're created in the image of God that's on our hearts. It's written on the heart of mankind. So we know that whatever the law says, starting in verse 19 of chapter 3, it says to those who are under the law, So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, are held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious or aware of sin. So, the law is the standard of righteousness, and if somebody obeys it, they enter the kingdom. But disobedience to the law means they perish in judgment. And the law makes me aware of my sin, which then tells me I'm under the judgment of God. I'm under the wrath of God. I will perish in judgment. I will die in judgment. Okay, we're going to look how Jesus took our death momentarily. He took our judgment. And so remember, we're seeking to understand what is the gospel of peace by looking at Romans ten fifteen, which reads again, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. We're about to look into this. Who bring glad tidings of good things. So everything we've talked about so far is nothing that makes us happy. It's nothing that makes us glad. There's no glad tidings. It's all a bad report. It's, it's all bad news. But there's a message that preachers are set aside by God to communicate to people. And what is so heartbreaking is the majority of believers don't understand this message, that God wants people to proclaim and and to preach and to explain and and to teach people. So we're looking at Romans 10, and we've started at Romans 10.1. We're seeking to understand what is the gospel of peace. And so everything we we just studied in Romans is preparing us to understand the gospel of peace or the gospel of grace, which were to take our stand against Satan when he attacks us. Again, Romans 10, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, that's Paul, my passion and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So we have to ask the question again, saved from what? Well, in the context of the book of Romans, salvation is being saved from the judgment and wrath of God upon the sinners, the ungodly, and the unrighteous, which is all of us apart from Christ, so that a person can escape judgment and have eternal life. All right, so we need salvation from the judgment to come and so that we can have eternal life in God's kingdom. So the only way to be saved or to escape judgment and wrath is by being righteous, by being innocent before God, because those who are guilty before God can't enter the kingdom of God. So the only way to enter the kingdom is to be innocent, which means to be righteous. So we've looked at the standard for righteousness is the law. That's the measurement is the law, which everybody fills. There's only one person who when measured against the law to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And all the other commandments are hang on those two commandments. Jesus said the 10 commandments hang on the two commandments. The only person who's ever lived to, was righteous before the law is Jesus. He's the only one who's loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's the only one who loved others as he loved himself. He's the only one. That means he's the only one who can pay our sin penalty, which is what he did. He took our judgment. He took our wrath. That's the good news of peace. That's the good news of the gospel. So the bad news is that no one obeys the law and therefore all are unrighteous and are under the wrath and judgment of God. However, it is the bad news. It is this bad news that makes the good news of grace, the good news of peace, so good. Paul writes about this good news in Romans three twenty-one through twenty-five. So he's building a case. All right, he's got to verse twenty. Everybody's sinful. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's ungodly. Everybody's unrighteous. Everybody's deserving of judgment. And then he starts off in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but now, apart from the law, has nothing to do with our behavior under the law, has nothing to do with our ability to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself, has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That's a righteousness that comes by faith that goes back to, if you want to make notes, it goes back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. The righteous will live by faith. That the law and the prophets themselves testified. That the righteous will live by faith. The just will live by faith. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness that comes from God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, or comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe in what Christ did for us. It's his faithfulness, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, his faithfulness in going to the cross and dying for us to all who believe, which is Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's those who believe are declared righteous. This righteousness is given. Notice it's not earned. This righteousness is given. It's free. It's it's given to us as a gift. Under the law, you earn righteousness, but you can't get it because nobody can obey the law. Under grace, we're given righteousness, and we receive it by faith. So we're given the righteousness necessary to enter the kingdom. We're given the righteousness necessary to have eternal life. We're given the righteousness necessary to escape judgment. We're given the righteousness necessary to escape the wrath to come. And this is called grace. This is the gospel of grace. This is the gospel of peace that we're to stand in. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And and, and many of the Jewish people, the Pharisees for sure, thought, well, there's a big difference between me and these Gentile sinners. And Paul builds the case in Romans 1 and 2. There's no difference. All are sinful. All are sinners. None are righteous. And he would tell the Jewish people, your own scriptures and Psalms declares that you are unrighteous. So there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Verse 23, for all have sinned, all have broken the law with our hands and our head, with our hearts. We've all failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've all failed to love our neighbor as ourself. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The glory of God is his perfection, his love. Everything that God is, we're not. So when somebody says ungodly, well, what's God like? He is full of love. And an ungodly person is is not full of love. The ungodly, okay? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified, made innocent, made righteous, were justified freely by His grace through the redemption or through the payment of our sins, that Jesus took upon himself our judgment for our sins. Jesus took upon himself the wrath for our sins. And that ultimate wrath, that ultimate judgment is death, perish. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have everlasting life. So Jesus took our death upon himself, our judgment, upon himself, the wrath upon himself at the cross. We're justified. We're made righteous. We're declared innocent of ever breaking the law of God freely. We put no effort into this. We put no works into this. By his grace, his kindness, unmerited kindness, through the redemption or through the payment that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Really, that's not a good translation. It's sacrifice of propitiation. Atonement means to cover our sins. Propitiation means to take away our sins. The blood of animals covered the sins of the nation of Israel for a short time, but the blood of Jesus takes away our sin penalty for all time. So God presented Christ as a sacrifice for our sins, complete sacrifice, when he died our death through the shedding of his blood, which is simply to be received by faith. So, the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace is where we receive what God has done for us in Christ, and when we receive Christ, or we place our faith in Christ, or we trust in Christ, we're declared righteous. So, righteousness by faith and not by work, the works of the law becomes Paul's message throughout most of Romans. He's basically going to spend the next several chapters backing up this conclusion in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. And he says in Romans 3:28 through 30 for we maintain that a person is justified by faith through trusting in Christ by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Verse 29 Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes of Gentiles too. And in verse 30 since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith that's the Jews and the uncircumcised through the same faith that's the Gentiles. So whether a person is Jew or Gentile, we're all sinners, and we're all saved the same way by the grace of God, which is what he's done for us in Christ, and we receive what he's done for us by faith, no matter who a person is. Look what Paul writes in Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work, that's seek to obey the law of Moses, to the one who does not seek... To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To the one who does not seek, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But to the one who trusts God, that's the one who God justifies. That's the one who God declares to be righteous. So Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work to merit righteousness, to gain righteousness, puts no effort to being righteous before God. This is why people will begin to accuse grace teachers of giving people a license to sin. This is why Paul was accused of, oh, Paul's just light on sin. He doesn't care about how people live. He doesn't care about morality. He doesn't care about ethics. And it wasn't too long ago when I was accused of not caring about morality. I was accused of not caring about ethics. I was accused of not caring about how people live. When a preacher proclaims this message, you open yourself up to that charge. Because you're saying that your works mean nothing. Your morality means nothing. Your religious activity means nothing to become righteous before God. It's not that those things don't matter. Certainly, Paul writes about them in Ephesians 4. He writes about them in Colossians 3. But when it comes to a right standing before God, our works mean nothing. Our morality means nothing because all are unrighteous, right? However, to the one who does not work but trust God, who justifies the ungodly, that's you and me apart from Christ. Their faith is credited as righteousness. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. We, we're declared righteous when we place our faith in Christ. Look at Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified, declare to be innocent of ever breaking the law of Moses. Declare to be innocent of ever breaking the Ten Commandments. Declare to be innocent of ever breaking the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. That God looks at you and me as if we loved him our entire lives with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, And he looks at us as if we've loved others our entire lives as we loved ourselves. Because we've been declared righteous, and it's a gift. It's a gift. Therefore, since you've been justified, declared righteous by God, how? Through faith, through trusting in what Jesus did for us. Here's the gospel of peace. We have peace with God. Now, in the context of Romans, what that means is we're no longer under the judgment of God. We're no longer under the wrath of God for our sins. You and I are at peace with God. So when the day of judgment comes, when the day of wrath comes, you and I have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about because God's provided for us righteousness in Christ, which we've received by faith, and now we're at peace with God. So therefore, since we have been, that's that's permanent. We have been, it's completed, it's finished, it's, it's done. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's through trusting in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ or through what Christ has done for us, through whom, through Christ, through what he's done for us, through faith in him, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, so when Paul says in Ephesians six fifteen that when Satan comes to you and seeks to attack you, that part of the armor that God has given us to resist the satanic attacks is the gospel of peace, and just like Paul is saying in Romans five one through two, to stand in grace, take your stand in this grace. You position yourself in the place of grace. And what does that mean? I'm standing in the fact that I am righteous before God because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm standing in the fact that I'm at peace with God because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm standing in the fact that I'm not under the judgment of God, that I'm not under the wrath of God, because Jesus took the judgment for me upon himself. Jesus took the wrath upon himself. Paul goes on to write about what Jesus has done for us in Romans 5, 6, and 8. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless to do what? To save ourselves from the judgment to come, to save ourselves from the judgment to come and from the wrath to come. There's no way we could save ourselves from that judgment and that wrath, because we're sinners. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul built the case in Romans 1 that the Gentiles are ungodly. Paul built the case in Romans 2 that the Jews who had the law are ungodly. He builds the case in Romans 3 up until verse 20 that Jew and Gentile alike are ungodly. And he makes the case that through faith in Jesus, we can be justified. We can be made righteous. We can be declared righteous by God. That's the gospel of peace. That's the gospel of grace. Look what Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Gentiles of Romans 1, the Jews of Romans 2, the Jews and Gentiles of Romans 3, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when those three girls were in the hallway, I loved the girls, but I was still their teacher, and I, and I had rules in my classroom that had to be followed. Just because someone falls under the judgment of somebody else doesn't mean that the one whose judgment they fall under doesn't love them. The fact that God provided a way for us to stand up under his judgment is proof that he loves us. That's what Paul is saying here. God shows us how much he loves us. That while we were sinners, Christ took our judgment for us. Christ took the wrath for us. He died in our place. He perished on our behalf. That's why John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in judgment, but have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel of grace. That's the good news of the gospel of peace that you and I stand in when we take our stand against Satan. I'm loved by God. I'm at peace with God. I'm righteous before God. I'm under no condemnation. Look at Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since we've been justified by his blood, made righteous, how much more shall we be saved from the judgment to come, from the wrath to come? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, that's Romans 1 and Romans 2, half of Romans 3, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now he's talking about the power of the resurrection. It's the crucifixion of Christ that took upon himself our unrighteousness, but it's in his resurrection that we're given the, the righteousness of the resurrected Christ. It's the crucifixion that, where Jesus took upon himself our death. It's his resurrection where we're given his life. So, if his death is powerful enough to take upon himself our death, how much more powerful is the resurrection that gives us eternal life? So, Paul says in verse 11, Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've, we're in relationship with God through faith in Christ, we're at peace with God through faith in Christ, we're justified. Look at Romans five seventeen, For if by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, sin came through Adam, spread to the entire human race, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, so we receive God's abundant provision of grace, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So righteousness is a gift that's received by faith. Romans 5, 20 through 21, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, or God brought the law so that we would see how sinful we are, but where sin increased under the law, grace increased all the more, so God gave the law so people would see how sinful they are, and once seeing how sinful we are, we will see our need for a Savior, so the law shows me how unrighteous I am and then turns me to Jesus, who's handed me the gift of righteousness, which we receive by faith. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So how do you and I live eternally? How do you and I not perish in judgment? Faith in Christ, belief in Christ, so that through grace we receive the righteousness needed to live in God's eternal kingdom, eternal life. Now, with this understanding that righteousness comes by grace through faith in Jesus and not by the works of the law, let's go back to Romans 10.1, where Paul writes about his desire and prayer for the Israelites is for them to be saved. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So we've looked at Paul's passion and prayer for them regarding salvation. Now let's look at Paul's testimony about the Israelites concerning righteousness. Now remember everything that we've talked about, and we'll try to move through this quickly. Number two is Paul's testimony about the Israelites concerning righteousness. So Paul says this, For I can testify about them, the Israelites, that they're zealous for God, But their zeal is not based upon knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God, and what's God's righteousness? It's a righteousness that comes by faith. They missed that in the law. They missed that the law, they didn't have the knowledge that the law said righteousness comes by faith. They missed it. And so since they missed it, that righteousness comes by faith, which Paul said in Romans 1, 16 and 17, which he also says in Romans 3, 21, that the law and the prophets testify. They miss that righteousness comes by faith. Even Abraham, he was declared righteous by faith. That's what Romans 4 is about. And since they did, did not know the righteousness of God, which comes by faith, they sought to establish their own, which comes by works. They did not submit to God's righteousness, which is a righteousness that comes by faith. Rather, they tried to create their own way to be righteous. Paul goes on to write, Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So the Jewish people were seeking to be righteous through the law. You can read about that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what the Pharisees were doing. It's exactly what they were doing, trying to establish their own righteousness through the law. All right. But now that Jesus has come, righteousness is a gift given to us, which we receive by faith. The law could never make a person righteous. That's what Paul's warning the Jewish people to see. Hey, I know Jewish people. I know you want to be righteous. I know you want to enter the kingdom of God. I know you want to have eternal life. I know you are zealous and you're passionate for God and you're trying to earn and work your way into the kingdom to have eternal life or, or to gain righteousness so you can have eternal life. But the way to be righteous is not through your morality and religious activity. The way to be righteous is faith in Jesus. Believe. Now, I'm not going to go all into Romans 10, but in Romans 10, Paul writes to convince his Jewish reader that righteousness can't be gained through the law of Moses. And I teach on these verses in my podcast, which can be accessed on my website, www.greatreach.org. You can listen to my podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And the title you would look for when you go to the podcast is Colossians number three, Your Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really go in-depthly into Romans 10. But we're going to we're gonna just hit some highlights in Romans 10 real quick so we can finish up. I know I'm going a little long. All right, Romans 10, 12 through 13. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, we've seen that verse, right? Romans 3, 23. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All are are sinners. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From what? Judgment. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus. That's a quote from Joel chapter two. I want to say verse 21. It's also a quote from Acts. I want to say chapter two. 2 verse 21 as well it may be chapter 1 verse 21 i think it's chapter 2 that all who call upon the name of the lord will be saved from judgment what's the name of the lord the name of the lord is jesus all right whether you're jew or gentile it's jesus and what he's done for us on the cross romans 10 14 through 17 is a quote of 52 7 which is takes us back to where we started How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So, Understanding everything that we just talked about in Romans, with, with that being the backdrop, how shall people understand the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, unless God sends someone to teach them? And then he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Why? Because that preacher is bringing good news. Oh, thank you so much for coming over and sharing with me that good news. Thank you so much for teaching me the good news. Thank you so much. It's the message that's beautiful. It's the gospel that's beautiful. The messenger is just a messenger of the gospel. So going back to one of the common names for those who lead churches is preacher. He's a preacher, my neighbor. What you know, like I said, would call me preacher man. Well, I'm not a preacher if I don't preach the gospel of grace. I'm a talker, I'm a speaker, but I'm not a preacher. Preachers are those who preach the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What are the good things? The good things is grace. The good things are you're justified by faith. You're righteous. You have eternal life by faith. Those are the good things that bring joy. And so we want to declare and we want to teach and we want to preach that message, communicate that message. And then verse 16, but they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. Paul's being, I don't want to say sarcastic here, but maybe a little bit because the people are so focused on obeying the law. Paul said real obedience is faith in Jesus. That's obe- The obedience of the gospel is faith in Jesus. If you want to obey the gospel, place your faith in Jesus. It's not obedience to the law. The real obedience is faith. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And the report in context is the good news about the gospel of peace, the good news about the gospel of grace. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how can people have faith in the gospel if they've never even really heard the gospel and we're saved by faith. So preachers proclaim the gospel and then people receive the gospel through faith. So the glad tidings of good things is the gospel of peace, which is the same as the gospel of grace. The good news is about the good things and the gospel of peace or the gospel of grace. We're justified. We're righteous. What are these good things? Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not by following the law. Eternal life comes through faith in Jesus, not by following the law or any moral activity or any religious activity or morality. The good things are that we escape the wrath and judgment to come by embracing through faith the gift of righteousness, which God has fully and freely provided for us in Jesus. As a result, we have peace with God. That's Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith and to this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Look at what God has done for us in Christ. That's the boasting. So it is in this gospel of peace, this gospel of grace, that we take our stand against Satan and his evil forces when they attack us with satanic lies. And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians six thirteen through 15. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. When we stand in the gospel of peace, we stand firmly in the truth that we're deeply loved by God. We've been reconciled to God. We are righteous before God, meaning we're fully and forever forgiven of all sins and we're completely innocent of all sins, just as if we've never broken any law. We're under no condemnation or no judgment or no, no wrath from God. We have eternal life. That's how we stand in the gospel of grace. Now, these truths draw us close to God experientially. So right theology draws us to God experientially when we believe the theology of the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace. However, Satan's goal is to drive a wedge between a believer and God by getting us to relate to God based upon our sins rather than the truth that Jesus died for all of our sins. Why were we sinners? Christ died for us. Satan doesn't want us operating and, and relating to God based upon that truth that Jesus died for all of our sins and took upon himself all of our unrighteousness and has forgiven us all of our sins and declared us to be righteous. Satan doesn't want believers to know that fully, to understand it fully. And so that is why Satan and his evil forces will say this to believers. And it comes in our own thoughts. We think these are our own thoughts, but they're not. They're satanic thoughts. It's his lies that he's placing in our minds. That is why Satan will say these things to believers. Your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have caused you to be out of fellowship with God. That, that was a lie that I believed for years. You're guilty because of your sins. God's going to punish you because of your sins. You're going to have to pay for what you did. You do not deserve to be successful or happy because of what you've done and the sins you've committed. You're going to have to live in the pain of your past for the rest of your life. You should be ashamed of of yourself. Look, Look at the sins in your life. Those are all satanic lies. So Satan and his forces will seek to remind us, you and me, of our sins and to get us focused on our sins. Satan and his evil forces will try to get us to live in the darkness of our sins and the depression of our sins and the discouragement of our sins. You know, Satan will never lead a person to the gospel of grace. Only the spirit does that. Remember, we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God that's part of God's armor. You know what the sword of the Spirit is? The word of God, that is the, it's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of peace. That's the sword of the Spirit that defeats Satan. All right. Additionally, Satan and his evil forces want to drive a wedge between God and a believer by trying to get you to live according to a law-based, discipline-based system to merit a right standing with God or to feel close to God based upon how well you perform under that system. Well, that system exists in so many places. The satanic goal is that you and I will fail to follow the system, thus getting us to live in a place of guilt before God, thus causing us to feel dirty and distant from God, consequently leaving us vulnerable to his attacks. So this law-based, disciplined system typically includes these things. Make sure you read your Bible every day. What happens if, oh, I didn't read my Bible today. Oh, I feel guilty. I feel dirty. I feel distant from God. Make sure you pray every day. Make sure you have no unconfessed sin in your life. Make sure you tithe. Well, if you don't tithe, God's going to get that money from you somehow. Make sure you tithe so you can be blessed. And if you don't tithe, you're going to be cursed. These are all lies. There's the old covenant. Make sure you attend the services. Boy, when I go to church, I feel good. When I don't, I feel guilty. When I go to church, I feel close to God. When I don't go, I feel distant from God. So now I'm basing my relationship with God on whether or not I go to church, whether or not I read the Bible, whether or not I pray, whether or not I have unconfessed sin in my life, whether or not I've tithed. Make sure you serve. Make sure you memorize and meditate on Scripture. The Pharisees did that. Make sure you have a daily quiet time or devotion. Make sure you carve out time for God. Make sure you witness. Make sure you fulfill a mission requirement. Hey, if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. You need to be devoted. You need to to be committed. You need to be all in. The one thing all these things have in common is I'm basing my relationship with God on me and not on the cross. And though some of these things can be good, there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible. But back during the time when Romans was written, they didn't even have a Bible to read. There's nothing wrong with prayer. There's nothing wrong with talking to God about what we're struggling with. But I don't relate to God based upon my ability to do any of these things. These aren't requirements. There's nowhere where these are required to be righteous before God or right before God or close to God. For many people, these practices lead to pity. Look at me, I'm failing to live according to the system. I'm failing to live according to the disciplines. Consequently, I'm not in right relationship with God. I'm not close to God. I'm distanced from God and I'm dirty to God. For others, this system produces pride. Look at me, I'm following the system. I'm following the disciplines. I got up this morning. I had my quiet time. I had my devotion. I don't think I have any unconfessed sin in my life. I can feel good about my relationship with God today. I can feel right about my relationship with God today. I can feel close to God today because I practice the disciplines. And the gospel of grace is this. It's not our devotions or discipline that makes us right with God or brings us close to God. Rather, it's the spiritual truths of the gospel of grace. It's the spiritual truths of the gospel of peace that we studied earlier that make us right with God, that grow us closer to God and that grow us spiritually in our relationship with him. So Satan does not want believers to hear about or understand the gospel of peace. Don't tell them the good news of everything Jesus did for them. Because if they know the good news of everything Jesus did for them, then I can't make them feel guilty anymore. I can't use shame against them anymore. I can't get them with spiritual discouragement and spiritual depression and spiritual darkness anymore. So don't tell them the good news. So Satan does not want believers to hear about or understand the gospel of peace, which is the gospel of grace. Satan doesn't want a believer to stand in the gospel of peace. He doesn't want a believer to stand in the gospel of grace. And the question is, why not? When a believer stands in the gospel of peace, when a believer stands in the gospel of grace, Satan cannot drive a false wedge between the believer and God based upon shame and guilt, self-condemnation. Satan cannot make a believer feel dirty before God and distant from God. Satan cannot bring condemnation, shame, and guilt upon that believer. Satan can't get a believer who's living in the gospel of peace and the gospel of grace and taking their stand in the gospel of peace to live in the spiritual darkness and spiritual depression about their sins. Satan can't prevent an open, honest, transparent relationship between God and the believer when they're standing in grace, where that believer can be open with God about their sins and their struggles, their hopes and their hurts, their difficulties and their delights, their concerns and celebrations, and the list goes on. An open, honest, transparent relationship is what happens when we stand in the gospel of grace. So it's the gospel of grace or the gospel of peace that produces closeness with God and that allows us to experience closeness with God. In this closeness, we experience his love, we experience his grace, his kindness, his compassion, his tenderness, and we experience the guarantee of eternal life. This produces spiritual health, emotional health, and relational health. The gospel of grace, the gospel of peace is the armor of God that God has provided for each of us to use to take our stand against Satan and his evil forces when his lies come our way. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the donate button on the Grace Reach website again, which is GraceReach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.